Four Degrees to the Streets is designed to empower anyone curious about places and spaces, not just persons with professional degrees or backgrounds. Here we will cover a host of topics, including transportation, health, housing, and the environment through the lens of racism, classism, and sexism, and give listeners the tools they need to overcome institutional barriers. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the number four degrees pod and tune in every other Tuesday where Nemo and Jazz keep it four degrees to the streets. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the four degrees to the streets podcast. My name is Nemo and we have Jasmine. And this is our third season. This is where, well, maybe Jasmine can add this in. Please cue Marvin Sapp, never would have made it because Jasmine and I have had so many life changes that have happened since we last spoke to you all, I think in March. Um, But I am forever grateful for my co-hosts. So how are you doing, Jasmine? I'm doing good. Yeah, life is way different. The podcast has grown. I'm sure, I'm hopeful that our audience has grown over our season two into season three break. And so I'm really glad. I remember pre-pandemic having these conversations trying to get the podcast on and look at us. Right, since before COVID. And then we launched in 2020. Um, In the last few months, um, we've been honored to be featured in several publications um, that you might've seen on our social media. One, um, Voyage Baltimore, Um, a lifestyle magazine that highlights um, local stories um, featured us in our story. So check that out if you haven't already. Um, And then the American Planning Association, um, the national um, accrediting body for planning in the U.S., um, their quarterly magazine featured our podcast in a selection of a podcast playlist um, with other podcasts. So definitely check that out too. And speaking of, so just FYI, we are recording this a few months before our episode launches. So we're going to just do our little summer recap. Um, And in this episode, we're going to be talking about a lot about places and what it means to uh, individuals and where they live or if they're just passing through. Um, And so Jasmine, what was some of the best travel you did this summer? Um, I went to Hawaii for the first time, Kauai Island for a cousin's wedding. That was my first time in Hawaii and it was beautiful. And we did a hike there. I think that was like my top travel destination this summer, hiking a mountain in Kauai. Oh, wow. That sounds beautiful. Um, For me, um, it was a short trip, but I went to New Orleans um, and got to spend time with um, my mom's side of the family so that was nice. Um, it was an unexpected trip, but I'm glad I was able to do that and kind of get recentered and grounded with, with my ancestors and my elders. Um, so that was special for me. Um, but as I said, speaking of places and the effect that it has on us, um, we're going to be talking about cost of living and is cost of living everything when deciding where to live or even where you go and where you visit. Um, and so we're also going to talk about if you are planning on relocating or moving and Um, whether in the near term or long term, what's important in choosing that place that you live. Um, And a few things sparked um, this, uh, this, this conversation for us. And I'll let Jasmine talk a little bit about that. So every year, there's always these reports on 
where's the best place to eat? Where's the best place to dine? Where are the best places to visit? Um, and so there are also reports on where's the best place to move and they kind of rank cities or towns or counties. And so we kind of honed in on a rent cafe report that was published in May of 2022 that highlighted the best cities for renters. And we'll get into the report. <clears throat> we'll get into the report in some more detail, but it stood out to us because none of the cities were cities that Nemo and I live or would have ever thought were on that report. They were all scattered across the Southeast and Southwest. And so it was interesting to us to not see cities like New York or Chicago or San Francisco or California or LA kind of listed on that report. And so we wanted to dig deeper into the metrics that they were using to come up with this ranking. And then as we come out of 2020 and 2021, and now we're in 2022 and we're kind of in the in stages or the normal stages of the pandemic and we saw people make really big shifts in their lifestyle and what was kind of important to them throughout the pandemic and so we saw tons of CNN reports and MSNBC reports on people are leaving New York and moving to Idaho and people are leaving LA and moving to Salt Lake City and so we wanted to really dig in and figure out how much of that was true and how much of that was just spark through temporary pandemic shifts and a lot of wealth being kind of pushed into the economy. And so we're going to dig deeper into the Rent Cafe report. Yeah, so as Jasmine mentioned, um, and thank you for touching on all that. Like, I, I definitely think that is something we want to talk about in this episode, whether we're just seeing short-term shifts or long-term shifts and what it means and what people are really valuing when they decide to pack up and move. Um, I know I moved this summer and it is not. <laughs> and yeah, it is a, it's, it's a, it's a, a lot goes into that decision. I um, mean, it can be stressful. So I don't know, you know, are people just doing it for short term or long term? Um, so Rent Cafe, um, they have an online blog for all things in the rental industry. Um, they also, you may have seen them if you have a property management company, they also are typically the site host for the portal. Um, so they are all things rental. Um, and uh, they publish an annual report. Um, that highlights the best and worst cities for renters um, in uh, various markets throughout the country. Um, and as Jasmine mentioned, we were surprised by some of the results. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, Jasmine and I have popped around a little bit um, on different coasts um, for school or work or, or those sorts of things um, in typically big cities. Um, but the best place for renters for 2022 was Round Rock, Texas. Um, I have never been there. I've never been to that, to Round Rock, Texas before. Um, um, it looks like it's about in the more central part of Texas, close to Austin. And then the worst city was Newark, New Jersey, coming in at 111th place in the rankings. Um, and a lot of the top cities favored the southeast and south central parts of the United States. Um, and 14 of those cities included Texas alone. Um, I'm looking at the map and yeah, it's definitely centralized as those were some of the best cities and we're going to get into why they rank those cities so highly, um, specifically in the South and Southeast. As a Jersey girl, I was so sad to see Newark listed all the way at the bottom. We'll dig into those metrics now. So any good report that we're going to pull up at least has a very sizable 
methodology and we can kind of dig in and figure that out. And so they looked at three main um, kind of large categories that have kind of subcategories within them. And so the first category being cost of living and housing and that weighted 50% of the total score that a particular city will receive. And so cost of living and housing included um, grocery, housing, transportation, utilities, but it also included your average um, apartment size, apartment occupancy, share of new apartments, share of high-end apartments, and share of renter-occupied households. Then they dug in to the local economy, which made up about 30% of the weight of the score, and that looked at things like unemployment rate, persons with high education degrees, median renter income, job growth, and number of new business applications. And then finally, which had a lower share of the total score, 20% of the total score, was kind of quality of life metrics. And they chose apartments in quote unquote top locations, average school rating, annual delay per car commuter. And so less delay was a positive. Um, share of car users, natural amenity ranking, which kind of looked at lakes and rivers and bike trails and different natural kind of um, amenities, and then days with good air quality. And so they have all these various sources. As always, we will have a link to everything we reference in our show notes. And so those categories kind of pushed certain cities to the top and certain cities to the bottom. You can think about a place like Manhattan where the rent, we're seeing all these reports now where the rent has like just reached $4,000. That's going to bring its score really, really low um, in the cost of living aspect when compared to a place like Tallahassee, Florida, where the rents might average around $2,000 or $1,700. Nima, what are your kind of thoughts on these metrics? Do you feel like they missed anything? What kind of stood out to you when looking at these? Yeah, I think like you said in the beginning, whenever we do pull these reports for our episodes, we definitely look at the methodology and no methodology is perfect. Um, I think um, they tried in, in each section. And kind of what I get from it is that those factors are important to some people, but not all. So it's hard to factor in what may be important to one person over the other um you know average school rating i know for a lot of young people who are you know coming out of school themselves or um, moving to different cities to start their careers they may not be looking at school ratings so that might weigh lower than for someone who has a family and so that's another thing how does uh how does this report what audience is this report really for um is it for younger or older folks and how do they kind of meet in the middle? I think you had mentioned one of the local economy um, factors was around um, business um, applications and how you start a business. Again, some people are like, I will stay on my nine to five and LLC Twitter can have it. Like I'm not interested in starting a business. Um, So that may be not even on the board for somebody. Um, So yeah, those are some of my initial thoughts. Yeah, I think you hit on it on the head with the audience focus. Um, for me, the quality of life metrics were not satisfactory. And right, a big issue of it is data, right? So in addition to listing their factor, they list the source where they pull the data. And so for example, they're pulling days with good air quality and they're getting that from the EPA air quality index. They're pulling natural amenity ranks and they're getting that from the Department of Agriculture. And so I think a 
a factor whenever you're building kind of a metric or a score is availability of data that's reliable, that's accurate, that you can use to answer your question. And so I want to say that maybe they didn't pull things that are important to me because it's hard to measure. And maybe they're more qualitative and less quantitative in nature. So for example, I don't see anything on here about satisfaction or joy or feeling like you like the place, if that makes sense. And that's kind of difficult to measure, right? Everybody likes certain things that are different. And so how do you measure that in quality of life? I don't see anything in here about crime. For me, as a woman, it's important to know, is this area safe? Is it dangerous? What are the last crimes that have been in the area? For me, as a person of strong faith, like there's nothing in here about access to various religious institutions, churches or synagogues or, or whatever your faith, your denomination is like the, the name of your institution. I don't see anything in there about that. I also don't see anything in here about businesses, not new business applications, but are jobs moving to this place? Meaning, are there company headquarters there? Or is it a no man's land? Like, what are we seeing in terms of that? And then entertainment was missing. Like for me, is there a theater? Is there movie theaters? Are there bars, restaurants? Like that whole thing is missing for me, which to me are more important in terms of quality of life than my commute or um, the number of people who have cars in my area. Those to me didn't seem like um, high quality, quality of life metrics. Yeah, I agree with you on the wanting things to do in the city. That was definitely something I saw that it was that was missing. But like you said, like, how do you measure it? How do you go to a, like, I like when I go to a place and see that they have something for everybody, whether it's things I'm interested in or not. Um, but how would someone measure it for this, for the purposes of this report? Um, and so this, this, is this, as we mentioned, this rent cafe report was kind of a starting point to looking at comparing cities and what they offer and for who and how important it is. Um, but this is usually, this is done broadly um, in a similar way that I'm sure a lot of you have heard of. It, it is called the cost of living and a cost of living index and how it is used. Um, a cost of living is defined as the total amount of money needed to live in a particular area. And one way of measuring that could either be a monthly cost or an annual cost. Um, and then that cost of living index takes different places and puts them along a scale um, from uh, with the average is 100. And so you can either go above or below 100. Um, and if you're above 100, then your cost of living index is higher than kind of what the average is for the country. And if it's below, then that's seen as a, you know, your cost of living is below what the national average is. And even that data point alone can tell you a lot about what you may expect to pay for certain things like groceries, housing, utilities, transportation, healthcare, and other goods and services. And so the Council for Community and Economic Research or C2ER um, compiles and publishes these costs of, this cost of living information um, at the local level and they've been doing so for over 50 years, since 1968. Um, and so they also had a report um, and the most recent um, one that was available was for the end of 2021. Um, and they had ranked the most expensive cities. Um, and so the top 10 most expensive, one being New York, specifically Manhattan, followed by San Francisco and then Honolulu, 
Um, shout out to DC holding it down at number five um, in some of the least expensive cities um, or urban areas, I should say, um, was Kalamazoo, Michigan, Harlingen, Texas, McAllen, Texas, um, and Muskogee, Oklahoma. And apologies if I, and then fifth was Jackson, Mississippi. Apologies if I pronounced any of those wrong. Um, but if we go, look, look back to what we were discussing at the beginning of this episode, that same Rent Cafe report was showing a lot of these least expensive cities as some of the best cities to rent. You think about why, right? So supply and demand, you know, general economics, certain things cost more than others because of the availability of that thing and how many people want it. Um, and so in New York, less land supply, so small number of acres, lots of people. So you get density, you get high rise buildings. And so that drives up the cost of living. But what do you get when you live in New York? And maybe I'm biased. I think me and you, Nemo, are probably biased because city girls, you know, we be in the streets. And so we're outside. We understand, you know, urban. We, I think I can say both of us kind of have a preference for urban areas over more rural or suburban areas. I want to speak for you, Nemo. Let me know if you agree. Yeah, I would say right now I definitely prefer um, urban areas, but quite as it's kept. I'm reaching my limit. <laughs> I'm close, to, I'm close to just be like, let me go back to the suburbs. And so and I think that gets to a point of the audience, right? So as you mature, as you change in your life, as your priorities change, the things you look for in a place to live change. And so I can say that Nemo and I are on the younger spectrum of the 20s. And so maybe we're in a space right now where like we want to be in the central businesses or we want to be in one of the, the high end neighborhoods outside of the CBD. And then maybe as we have a family or don't have a family and just want to have more space, more land, we decide to move out into those further areas. And so those are kind of the trade-offs you get. And so for me, the trade-off for paying more in Manhattan versus paying less in um, Richmond, Indiana is the amount of things I can get and I can do in that space. And so um, that's just what I think about. And that's kind of what the purpose of this episode is, is the cost of living everything. Yes, you're going to spend more to be in a central business district. But if that's important to you and you're getting more out of it, then is the cost of that central business district everything to you? What are the other factors that kind of impact your decision-making and choosing where to live? So what are the other, so that's one metric, Nemo. Are there other metrics to kind of measure cost of living or affordability? Yeah, and um, the one I mentioned that's looking at it as a coldly, um, a lot of, um, you know, organizations or employers will look at that data because it's pretty broad and standard and they've been doing it for a long time. Um, so if you work for a certain type of organization or if you work for the government, um, they may give you a cost of living adjustment to your salary to account for things like inflation. Um, and some of them will use this research because it's kind of been the trusted and true um, data point that's consistent across the country. Um, but other organizations that have more specific focuses, like Center for Neighborhood Technology, um, they're a nonprofit, and they're specifically looking to do research for improved and more connected communities. They have a housing and transportation affordability index. Um, and in the planning field, um, in the last probably you know 20 years or so, this has definitely been a major point of focus, how our housing and transportation patterns change, how we you know, are shifting away from more sprawled communities to wanting more dense 
um, areas where things are walkable and you can access what you want all in a similar, all in the same space. We've seen that change. Um, in their housing and affordability index, um, what they specifically look at is um, both affordability, um, yes, basically what the name says, affordability of housing and transportation, but at a neighborhood level. And they have fact sheets um, depending on where you live. So this is a tool that we, you know, we may explore more in depth later in the season, um, but you can go on and search to see um, what, you, what is available in your, um, in your specific neighborhood. Um, so for instance, if I wanted to pull up the Washington DC area, um, you know, it would show me that um, the location efficiency metrics, so place, it's how it ranks in places being close and compact together, whether it's close to jobs, um, what, how much transportation choices that you actually have. Um, so it's saying in the DC, Maryland and Virginia area, 56% of the, are the 56% of that area has location efficient neighborhoods. So you can get to things that you need pretty quickly. Um, and then transportation costs, um, and this is more informational, I don't think it ranks it compared to other places, but it's saying that annually you can expect to spend basically $13,000 on transportation um, every year. So the Housing and Transportation Affordability Index that um, Centers for Neighborhood Technology puts out, I always found to be really helpful um, because it puts in perspective your kind of total cost of living in my mind. So yes, you have your rent or your mortgage payment, but you also have to get places. And so then you have to factor in transportation. Um, and so I like this report also. And so what I wanted to do was just compare two cities. I'm comparing two large cities. And so according to Rent Cafe, they use a population greater than 600,000 people as a large city. And so Jacksonville, Florida ranks six overall. So out of the 111, Jacksonville came in six and it came in first for largest for large cities. And then Philadelphia, came in 96th overall and at the very bottom for large cities. And so I just wanted to compare some of the, the factors in the Rent Cafe report and then look at housing and afford housing and transportation affordability index. And so Jacksonville won out because it had a lower cost of living, more high-end apartments, slightly better schools, and better access to natural amenities. But when I think of, and that fits for some personality, some person was like, okay, Jacksonville is better for me. And so when I look at the housing and transportation affordability index, you can see that 0% of Jacksonville's cities or neighborhoods are in location efficient neighborhoods. And in Jacksonville, the annual transportation cost is roughly $12,000. And so after you spend your money on housing and transportation, about 49% of your income is available to spend on other things. And so the way they're taking income here is looking at the median household income for Jacksonville, subtracting out the annual housing, the annual average housing expense, subtracting out the annual transportation expense, and then what, how much do you have left annually? And so in Jacksonville, you have about 50% of your income left. 
in Philadelphia, 42% of those neighborhoods were what they called location efficient. The average transportation cost in Philly was about $9,000. And after you factor in average annual housing costs, average annual transportation costs, and subtract that out from the median household income in Philadelphia, 63% of your income is remaining. And so if you have a larger share of your income left in Philadelphia after you spend money on housing and transportation than in Jacksonville. However, just because Jacksonville had a lower cost of living, it ranked super high in the best cities to live in. But what happens after you travel to work, travel to school, travel to get groceries, pay for your apartment, and you have less of your income left to spend? I feel like that's why people who live in Philly, they don't tell people how much they love Philly um, because they don't want I mean, I've just heard this on, on the Bird app <laughs> that if they were to tell people how much they love um, Philly, then people would start moving there and it would drive all these costs up. But, you know, for me, I would love to have more of my income left after paying for my basic needs, being my housing um, and my transportation. So I think those two are a really good example of like where people place their value and who are doing these reports um, and the housing and um, neighborhood housing and transportation index um, shows things from more of like a matter of fact way. Um, there's not as many metrics, um, but it just shows kind of what's making up the area. And even looking at going back to DC, again, the fifth most expensive place in a cost of living index, um, the remaining income is about 60% as well after transportation and housing costs. But as I'm sure we know that incomes in DC are a lot higher than that of probably Philadelphia and Jacksonville. Um, so just something to think about, like what, what, what median income group are you jumping into when you move and how might that skew the data as well? So understanding that you might be moving in with moving into an area that has people that are making more than maybe the national average. And Jasmine and I have talked about this in past episodes. Um, in terms of housing affordability and maybe what programs that you may qualify for um, based on what the median household income is in that area. So that's another thing that I thought about with this index as well, how you could use it to determine kind of what the people around you are, what their livelihood may be. Um, and so Jasmine, what are some of the things that are important to you? Um, and we've talked about this a little bit earlier, but what do you think will change also as your life changes? Yeah, it's funny because we talked about this, I think with the aging in place episode um and making sure that our cities kind of meet the needs of a eight to 80 kind of cities type of thing um for me right now especially since I just moved the first thing was that my income matched up with how much it costs to live in a place. So I will say that cost of living made a difference, but it wasn't just like how much does the rent cost? It was a composite of how much money am I going to be making monthly, less rent, less my car payment, less the price of gas, less me just wanting to go outside. And then how much did I have left? So I took that housing and transportation index and kind of added on to it um, to things that I consider to be necessities, like getting my hair and my nails done or going out, you know, at least once a weekend or something. And so making that decision was important for me and helped me negotiate in terms of like how much money I wanted to be making in that new role. 
Um, so I definitely say like a composite measure of like how much money I have left after doing the things that I want to do. But tied to that directly is being able to do things I want to do. And so for me right now, living in the suburbs wasn't working for me. I had previously been living in the suburbs and it wasn't working for me because I found myself commuting further distances, getting to the things I wanted to do and being around the people that are my age, that I could network with, that I wanted to see. And so proximity to restaurants, bars, shops, was essential to me not so much living on the street with them but being able to walk there being able to take the train there being able if I was driving to do that in like five minutes as opposed to 30 or 40 minutes was like top of my priority for me yeah I like how you said you kind of added on to what the housing and transportation index showed I think for me I thought a lot I thought about it in terms of also moving and um, being in a new role (laughs) this over the last few months about how much it was going to be in compared to what I was making before um, and then what my new expenses would be um, and that gap between the past and what it will be. Um, that was what I used to be able to give me peace of mind in terms of, in terms of what I could afford. Um, no, that makes sense. And I think the affordability, right? The first things we both mentioned was affordability. Like, can I afford this place that I want to live? Um, I think related to that also was how much am I sacrificing to be in a place that I want to live Um, or vice versa? How much am I sacrificing to not have something? And I will put this out there because I think Nemo and I, we're both in a sense of privilege, right? Like we have advanced degrees. We work in professional fields. We live in high cost cities. And so I think about, someone that's not in our situation right so let's try to take their perspective let's think about someone who is smart and is educated but might not have a formal master's degree or a formal four-year college degree and they're working in a professional field but maybe they're not the manager or they're not on the the track moving up maybe they're the administrative assistant in a large company like a Johnson and Johnson or a Pfizer or something like that and they're on the support staff and their income is fixed, right? Our incomes are fixed, but there's also an upside for me, I feel like. And maybe you feel the same way, like I can I can move forward if I need to. And so, and we don't have families, right? Neither one of us have children that we have to account for their needs and their desires. And so I think about that person and we don't have the same priorities, right? Like I'm not thinking about the quality of the school. I'm not thinking about on a micro location level, how far is my house from my child's school? I'm not thinking about um, debt that I might have that I need to, to pay off. And so my composite, like I mentioned getting my hair and my nails, <laughs> my nails done is like a, a priority of mine, not paying off a medical bill debt or, um, paying off college loans or something of that nature. And so that's always important to me when we have these discussions, like what are the needs of the most of the people? And I will say this also, I just came back from a real estate conference and we're talking a lot about class A buildings and, you know, rents growing 3%, 4%, 5% rent growth every year. And then we kind of just mentioned on the side, like, yeah, but people's incomes aren't growing that much. Like, but we'll just keep modeling it as if we can keep achieving these rents. And I think it's important 
to realize, you know, the 1% is a real thing, right? Like majority of people are not making 70, 80 plus thousand dollars a year. The median household income across the U.S. is 31,000. We're designing our cities and our places for people who are the minority, for for Nemo and I, who have professional degrees and who are working in high-end fields and all of these things. But that's not the bulk of society, right? The bulk of society falls somewhere in the middle. And so how I can understand why we see rankings of cities that are the best places to live in where the rent is less than 2,000 square foot because, and I can look at the migration numbers and see the number of people flocking out of New York and San Francisco and Chicago and moving to, maybe it's not a one-to-one correlation, but the numbers do show you, right? Maybe not everybody's moving from New York to Texas, but Texas's population is growing. New York's is declining. So some people are moving somewhere. The net migration is, is positive in some places and negative in others. And that kind of follows a track of cost of living. And so I can understand completely why I can sit here and say, oh, I'm willing to pay more to live in essential businesses because I want to go outside and mingle with people. But that's because I'm on a, a track, you know, of elevated, quote unquote, elevated income. And other people don't have that same space. And the majority of people don't have that same space. And so the decision making process is more heavily driven towards how much is this actually going to cost me? And I'll give up more just so I can have more space or, or have more money in my pocket. Um, And while we were doing research for this episode, I came across a quote that stood out to me and it said, the cost of living is high because states adopt policies that make the states more costly places to do business, to buy property, and to obtain a given standard of living. So that's a quote. I can't say necessarily if I agree or agree. I think it varies based on states or cities or different localities. However, I do think what stands out is that given standard of living Um, And are we creating places for a certain type of person? Like Jasmine was mentioning, not everyone's income or status or responsibilities is the same. And in this podcast, we have our perspectives, which are similar um, as the co-host, but we understand that we are not, um, that that our, our path is not all that exists. So are we then contributing when we choose to live in these areas that have give that have a certain standard that we may choose but what about the standard of living for people who may not get to choose? And how do we create environments where they can still have access to the things they want, whether that's food that isn't an arm and a leg or a nice place to live that doesn't cost, that doesn't take up, you know, uh, you know, way over 30% of their income. Um, so those are some things that I kind of think about as we close this episode. Um, but yeah, we are back for season three. We hope you'll continue to join us. Um, this season, um, we drop 10 episodes um, and you can follow us on social media on Instagram and Twitter at the number four degrees pod. Um, and we'll be back every other Tuesday. Peace out, y'all.